Let's turn in the Bible this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read the first ten verses there and then try to dig out of that some things that will be meaningful for us in today's world. Written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ. He put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. I saw a political cartoon recently which pictured the face of a world leader with an expression of complete bewilderment. And across the bottom of that cartoon were printed these words, a world of woes. That statement pretty well describes the world in which you and I live today, I think. I don't know in all of my years, and I've been around for a while now, that I have ever lived in a time when I heard God's people announcing more concern about what's going on in the world, what's going on in America, and what's going to happen next. In Sunday school, some of you have been studying a lot out of the book of Revelation and signs of the times and the end times and what all is going to happen at the end of times when God comes again. Uh, I've had many questions about that too, most of which I did not have an answer for because I don't know all of those, all the answers to that. I haven't got God's plan figured out just right for the end times. And if anyone tells you they do, it probably means they really don't. It's that way. What we do know is that God has a plan and that He's moving forward with it. And we do know this. The world has pretty much throughout history had times, better times and worse times, good times and bad times. And for as long as I can remember, world leaders have been negotiating and doing what they thought was right to overcome the problems that bring such woe and worry, usually with temporary success at the very best. And I think God knows that. In today's world, we're kept aware on a daily basis of just how troubled the world around us has become. And somehow, as individuals, we have to sort through all the rhetoric that the media presents to us to find a place to stand where we can be peaceful and confident and know in faith 
that we're going to be okay. Not only have I heard you speak in, in person, I hear many of you, I read many of your thoughts, many of your concerns on the Internet. Some of those concern me a great deal. Some are really spreading the syndrome of fear about what's going on in our world. Some of them, to be honest with you, are downright wrong, untruthful. I want to ask you this morning, what does it mean when the Bible says, do not bear false witness? What does that mean? Doesn't it mean that we shouldn't do that on the witness stand when we're in the courthouse? Doesn't it mean that I should not bear false witness about Marvin, uh, who is my friend, that I should not say things about him that I don't know are true? Doesn't it also mean that I should not pass along the rhetoric in mass mailings to the world about one political candidate or another political candidate or who's doing this or who doing, is doing that unless I am assured that is the absolute truth. We need to think about that. See, as Baptists, in today's world, we're facing a time when we've been described by leaders all over the nation who has spoken for us while we have sat quietly for many years. And it's time for us as Baptists to begin realizing and trying to understand who are we really? What is it that we really believe? Where do we get our theology? Do we get it from the Internet? Do we get it from a few loud voices who have the, the resources to program themselves and to broadcast themselves around the nation? Or do we get it from God's Word? And that's where I think we need to get it. And we need to go there this morning, and we're going to in just a moment. The political cartoon that I mentioned a few moments ago could have very well described the feelings of the people who were members of the church at Ephesus, the Ephesians that Paul wrote this letter of encouragement to. Their church included converted Jews and Gentiles. And all of them wanted to bring into the church baggage from their past belief. The, the Jews wanted to add some Jewish ritual uh, to, the, to the church membership uh, requirements for becoming a member. The, the, the Gentiles came out of pagan backgrounds. They wanted to introduce some of that. And pagan religions were still out in the community. They were being reckoned with as powerful and growing forces. Internal bickering was a constant threat for the Christian Jews and the Gentiles. And at the same time, political turmoil was prevalent in the world. The Roman Empire was in firm control of their land. And the Roman Empire was in firm control of all the local government officials. The lure of the world spoke to the Christians in the church at Ephesus to claim their allegiance because their financial success sometimes was dependent upon how they related to the world. And the big question for the Christians in Ephesus and for us is this, how can we stay up in a world, stay upright in a world that is downright corrupt? How do we know where we're going? Paul begins his letter to encourage the Christians in Ephesus and he reminds them of three truths that they can always depend upon. First of all, God is fully aware of the worldly situation that his people exist in. We may not realize that every day. God knows what's going on in your life, in my life, every day. 
He knows what's going on in America every day. Nothing is happening beyond his sight and beyond his understanding. And so, in our text this morning, Paul with that says in verses 9 and 10, or he writes in verses 9 or 10, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. Now, when the, right, when the time is right, the Bible says that Jesus will indeed come again. And those who have lived according to God's plan for their life will be lifted out of this world of woes to live in perfect peace and harmony in an eternity that is made perfect by Him. When will the time be right? I've already said, I don't know. I do understand this. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, the Scripture says, Peter writes, With the Lord a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. He wrote that statement because the Christians he was writing to were becoming very impatient about whether Christ was going to come or not. And he simply reminds them, Christ does not operate with a Timex like we do. He's not interested in your calendar or my calendar. He's not interested much in even in the length of a lifetime. You know, I'm remembering and, and understanding more and more all the time. James says life is but a mist. It's here today. And it's gone tomorrow. And I'm understanding that more clearly. You know, I've already lived many more years in the past than I'm going to live in the future. I understand that. God understands that. And because of that, I have to decide, how am I going to live the rest of my life? What am I going to do? What message am I going to promote? And I want to say as Baptists, it's time for us to quit ringing the, the fear bell and start ringing the Jesus bell. It's time for us to send the world a positive message. There is hope. Our future does not depend upon politics. It never has. If it had, God would have sent Jesus to be the king of Israel as the Israelites looked for him to be. He turned them down because he knew a political kingdom was not what God was about. He is about a spiritual kingdom. And if you are a part of that kingdom, you can live in victory with hope and peace in your heart regardless of what comes our way. We're going to be okay. Now, one of the things that may happen in the future that we're not sure of is that what's happening in the world. I'm aware that there are banks failing in America. I'm aware of what that may mean to even senior adults who are on fixed income and people who've laid up retirement. All that's scary, isn't it? Has that got you concerned? It does me. It's got everybody concerned. But I want to tell you something else. There is a richness in a relationship with Christ that will allow you to live with confidence and with peace, regardless of what's going on in the world. And in the midst of the crisis that comes, we wonder where God will be. I tell you where He'll be. He'll be calling His people together. And He will be forcing, uh, He will be putting together a force for good. And God will come to life again through His people. Do you know what's going to happen with the people out in the world who do not know Christ if things keep going the way they are? 
they're going to be panicky. They're going to be looking for answers. For the first time in their lives, some of them are going to say, there has to be a better way than I have been living. And that gives us, if we're ready, the opportunity to share the good news that indeed God is a God of grace. Indeed, God knows what's going on in our lives. And He has a plan for us. Only God knows when the time is going to be right for Him to come back. And in the meantime, we're to be like His disciples in in the first chapter of Acts, when they asked Jesus, he came back and he said, now is the day you're going to reestablish the kingdom. And Jesus said, only the Father knows that. That's going to happen in the future. And what you're to do in the meantime is to be my witnesses here at home and around the world. And that's our responsibility. And the worse the times become, the greater our responsibility and the greater our opportunity to share the good news of Christ. God knows exactly what's going on. And the fact is, as Baptists and as Christians, we need to position ourselves so that God can use us when He needs to use us to bring hope to a world that's lost and dying. A few months ago, I had yet another birthday. And I received a global positioning system that is one of the greatest things I've ever had. Brother Lyle had one here a while back. He told you about his joy with it. But mine is special because when I unwrapped it uh, right away, I knew it was made especially for me because it's a Tom Tom 2, third edition. And so I got up the next morning and I had to find my way from White House to this house. So I thought, I'm going to try this Tom Tom out. And I put in the address, did all that stuff, set it up on the dash, and here I come. I could look over and see right where I was, this little arrow going around the curb, down the ridge. Uh, to get here, and between there and here, I decided, you know, I think I'll just go on down to Skyline without stopping at the office, make a visit, and then come back to the office, and I won't have to break up my morning. And so that's what I did. Well, when I got through the the last stoplight out here, headed towards Skyline, Tom Tom said, turn right, you have reached your destination. And I didn't think about what Tom Tom was going to do, but I went ahead and I got down the street just a little ways and Tom Tom said, turn left. I didn't want to turn left because I was going to Skyline. I went a little bit further. Tom Tom said, turn left again. I didn't. And when finally I turned left to get up to Skyline Hospital and got in the parking lot, Tom Tom said, make a U-turn at your first opportunity. What I heard Tom Tom was saying was, repent. (laughs) Change your direction. Turn around. Go the other way. Global positioning system is great. You know, it'll, it'll tell you just about anything you want it to know if you know how to ask for what you want to know. Um... It can give me everything I ask for. It warns me when I've made a mistake. It tells me exactly where I am. It pleads for me to turn around if I'm lost. But unless I listen and trust and obey what the TomTom system is saying, it's all useless. I want to tell you something. I have another GPS system that's able to direct me correctly when I am willing to listen 
and to obey. And this is it. It's God's positioning system. God's positioning system. It's not a tom-tom. And it doesn't speak to you audibly by pushing a button. But I tell you what, as a young adult, when I began to read the Bible seriously for the first time in my life, before I understood what was happening, it was speaking to me and making serious implications about who I was and what God would call me if He had to call upon me in that day and it wouldn't have been forgiven. It would have been lost. And some of you may be that way today. And the question is, what's your position before God? Some of you as Christians, as believers, need to think about what you're really trusting in your life. Where is your confidence? What are you really counting on? Who are you depending upon? I don't know about you. But when you think about the major institutions in our nation in this day and what's happening, schools that have always been the pride of our country are in trouble. Maybe it's because, maybe it's because there's too much pressure and too much leadership when above when it ought to be drained down to the schools that can operate on their own. I don't have the answer for all that. I just know that major institution is threatened. Another major institution is threatened is all of the financial system we have, with banks crashing, with homes being repossessed, with people losing everything that they have. And in the midst of all of that, there are all kinds of scams and crooks that are taking advantage of every situation. And if you're depending just on your success, just upon your ability, upon your skills, upon your giftedness to make it through this world on your own. You've positioned yourself in a pretty weak position in today's world. You see, God knows exactly what's going on. And God wants to position us so that we can do for Him what He needs to do. I remember a time back in the book of Isaiah, about chapter 25, 26. Isaiah is is preaching, and the world is really in trouble. His nation is really in trouble. And he says there's going to come a time when God is going to rid himself of everything that's happening. All the major institutions were in trouble. The, the Jewish congregations, the synagogues, were just a sham. People were just going through the motions to do what, what the leaders told them to do. The leaders were doing what? Other leaders were telling them to do. There was no real commitment to God in all of that at all. And when Isaiah gets over to a point that he goes before God, and then he gives us a verse that we can take to heart in a time like this, in Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, where he said to God, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. The Lord, the Lord God, is our rock eternal. You see, God knows exactly where we've positioned ourselves in our relationship with Him. Through every circumstance of our lives, He is fully aware of our pain and our suffering, most of which is brought on by people 
trying to operate in the world without Him. And if you know Him, if He calls you forgiven, if He calls you His child, then He will never, ever leave you. And you can waste the beauty of that relationship if you focus on what's going on in the world more than you focus on what God promises you. That's where your security is. That's where the hope comes from. And He's the one who has a plan for your life. Not only is God aware of what's going on in our lives, the second thing that we can get out of Ephesians 1 through 10 here is that God's peace and His grace are sufficient for us in today's world. His peace and His grace are sufficient. Notice verse 2. Paul begins this letter of encouragement to the people of Ephesus with these words, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Now he's writing that to the Christians in the church at Ephesus. And they lived in a troubled world. They had already experienced God's forgiveness. They had already experienced God's willingness to love them and to accept them. What they needed now was a gift of grace that took them a step farther, and that was to set them free to live as Christians in a world that was lost and filled with trouble. And you see, that's what you and I desperately need. Paul knew by his own personal experience just how sufficient God's grace and peace are and how it's always available to believers. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he tells how, uh, to the church at Corinth, he, he writes and he tells how God has given, had given him a thorn in the flesh. And he said it was just a, like a messenger from Satan who was sent to, to torment me and to aggravate me every day. It was always after me, always in my way. And he said, I pleaded with God three times for him to remove that thorn. And God answered, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And because of that, I can boast more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. And that's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. And I want to tell you something. In America, if America continues to grow weaker and weaker, God's intentions will to be grow, to grow stronger and stronger. And as weak as you may feel as a believer, He intends to show His strength through you and through me and through the struggles that we're going through in our own lives. We'll be able to announce to the world that God's grace is sufficient. You know, as believers in this world, we're blessed because we know of God of grace and a God of peace. And God's grace is experienced when we confess our sins before Him for the first time, when we cry out for our need for Him. And we ask Jesus to come into our heart and into our life. For the first time, God lavishly, Paul says, lavishly spends His grace. He lavishly spends that grace to provide us with forgiveness and then to provide us with the strength and the power that we need to live in a world such as ours. God knows we're living in a lost world. You know, as Christians, sometimes we look out at the world and we say, oh, if the world was all 
just like us. Why don't somebody do something? And so many times we take things into our own hands. We think, well, if we elected all Christians, that would be great. Or if we elected this, or if we elected that. We're always looking. We're always trying to find somebody in the world who is wise enough and powerful enough to bring us the peace and security that only God can give. That only God can give. Now, God knows all about the world leaders. God had a hand in giving Israel their very first king. You remember that? He sends Samuel after the nation cries out over and over again, we need a king, we need a king, we need a king to get an army to, 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 to protect us. And so finally God relents and he says, okay, Samuel, I'm sending you to choose the king. And when you get there, you're going to recognize him because he'll stand head and shoulders above everybody else. You'll know who he is. Well, Samuel goes. And he searches around, and finally, he goes to Saul, the man who was standing head and shoulders above everyone. And Saul is anointed as the first king of Israel. Do you remember how Saul turned out? A raving maniac. Tried to kill David, who was going to succeed him as a chosen and anointed king. David, who came from the very lineage that the prophets had always said he would come from. Do you remember how David turned out? Had an affair with his next door neighbor on top of the palace. Remind you of anything not too long ago? This was a person God chose. David finally planned for the murder of his mistress's husband. He got in a lot of trouble in the world. And yet God used that man to bring about good in the land. Now listen. God can use any person. He chooses to use. A Democrat, a Republican, a Whig, an Independent. Whoever he puts there, the Bible says we are to support. And we are to respect the offices of our land. But what we're to respect and depend upon more than that for the peace and the power that we want can come only from God. Only from Him. And it's time for us to get back to understanding what we believe about God's Word and what it is that He wants to do. How does He want to position us? How does He want to position me? I don't know how many of you are thinking these days, but the older I get, the more important I find it is that I understand that God is not finished with me yet. Even though I'm beyond the age for retirement, and whether or not I ever work for a salary again or not is immaterial. But my responsibility is to share the good news of the gospel wherever I am, as often as I can. I need to have myself positioned before God so that I can freely and peacefully and powerfully talk to others 
who are lost and still trying to find their way into this situation that God wants us to be in. You know, we think about all of these situations. Romans 8.28 gives us a beautiful passage of Scripture. You know, I hear this all the time when I'm at the funeral home. When people lose loved ones and they're trying to figure out why, and when they're trying to deal with a broken heart, with the grief, one of the passages that many times they quote is this. Well, we know that God is working in all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. That's about as far as we ever take that verse. I want to tell you that verse fits the worldly situation that we're living in better than it fits the funeral home. And it doesn't make any difference what happens in this land. God is going to be willing to work in the midst of His people to bring about good for every person. He works with all things, through all things, through every situation. And maybe when we come to the failure of our banks and our institutions and our government and everything else, finally at last, God will have us in position to look up to Him and say, Oh God, help us, use us, save us, call us forgiven again. man told me out in the foyer just before church, he mentioned to me the situation in our world. And he said, you know what? One of our biggest problems in America and in our church is that we are basically very, very selfish. And it's the truth. What we'd like for God to do is to carve out a little place where we could live in a comfort zone where we'd never be threatened. And in America, we have kind of created that, many of us, for ourselves. God may shake us out of that. may not be too comfortable where we're going. It may be unbearable unless you have somewhere besides yourself for the worldly system to turn. And when you get to that point, Paul wants you to understand that you can always turn to Christ. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. And then a little further down, he makes a statement, if God is for us, who can stand against us? And he closes that 8th chapter with saying, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. God loves His people His grace is sufficient for us today. And we understand that God blesses us and life will not always be exactly what we'd like for it to be. But you know what? The the best example I can think of that is when we think about the life of Jesus. In Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, Paul says, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. That means He pays a ransom for us. He pays for our sin through His blood, His death on the cross. We have the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God that He lavishes on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now think about the position that Jesus occupied as He came to live among mankind. Well, He was born, first of all, in the comfort of a stable, in a manger. Quite a comfort zone, right? Really nice. No, 
he was born in a manger. He came to live and he came to grow and, and he grew up as the son of a carpenter in Nazareth. And early in his ministry, when he had some disciples and they were sharing their testimonies, Philip invited a man by the name of Nathaniel to meet Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel answered him, Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was not exactly a comfort zone, not a comfortable place to live. And immediately after Jesus was baptized when he was 30 years old, he went into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. And if you read that story closely, you begin to understand Jesus really went there to settle some issues. He went there to decide whether or not to attempt to fulfill God's plan through the world's provision of power and fame and riches. And Satan, the tempter, offered him all of those while he was in the wilderness. Or whether he would accept God's positioning in life as a man of sorrows, a man of suffering, a man who would learn and model obedience to the Father through suffering, the Scripture says. That's the kind of comfort zone Jesus lived in. And He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father by anyone else other than Me. And He continually demonstrated for us and for those around Him what God was really like as a God of grace and mercy and love who was willing to forgive, who was willing to save, who was willing to change our name to forgiven. And while He was demonstrating what God was really like, He demonstrated what you and I ought to be like. As we live in a world that's filled with trouble, did you ever stop to think, Jesus never lived a day on this earth when His country was free. Not one day. His whole life, the Roman Empire had overrun his country. The Roman Empire was in charge of all of the different districts. The governors of those districts were in charge of all the synagogues. All the major institutions that had been so much for so many years were thrown right out. And so right out of the manger... Into a troubled world, God positioned His Son for a journey that would last approximately 33 years and that would be culminated on the cross. Where He gave Himself, where He poured out His blood for you and me to purchase God's forgiveness and to wash away our sins. So where are we in a world such as today? When we're living in troubled times, well, the third thing that I see in this short introduction here to the book of Ephesians is this. God has given us in His positioning system a point of reference. The cross is the believer's reference point when we're trying to find our way through a troubled world. You know, Jenny and I <clears throat> moved to Memphis in 1981. That seems like a long time ago now. Memphis was a strange city to us. 
uh, all I ever knew about Memphis was that Elvis was there. He's still there, by the way, in a big way. Um, Elvis, not alive, but symbols of his life are there. And um, we got to Memphis, and we found a city that was difficult for us to get around in. And early on, we discovered that about eight miles from downtown, which basically, if you've been to Memphis, is built right on the riverbank. All the main business district of old Memphis is downtown. And about eight miles east of there, on Poplar Avenue, which runs a full length of Memphis from west to east, um, a man built a skyscraper. Out on Poplar Avenue, Clark Tower is what he would call it. I'd like to give my Clark uh, credit for that, but I don't think he had anything to do with it. Clark Towers was really uh, standing tall, 26 stories, no other skyscrapers around. On top of it was a huge American flag. And the beauty of it was that because Memphis, as compared to this area, is a relatively flat place, even though it's called Bluff City, they don't know what bluffs are because they hadn't been here, I guess. But the fact is, it's flat. And from many, many places in Memphis, you can look around the horizon and see that American flag sticking up in the sky. And that becomes a perfect point of reference, regardless of where you are. If you can see Clark Tower, you know that you can get to, to Poplar Avenue, which runs all the way through Memphis, and from there you can go anywhere. And we soon learned that wherever we were, when we were looking for a place, that office towers served as a valid reference point for us. God knows how confusing a world like ours is. He knows how much attention uh, is being called for through the media and, and through all of the rhetoric and the jargon that's being thrown around in these days. And so he gives us, he positions us, so that we can find a point of reference. Jesus said in John chapter 12, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He was referring to his death on the cross, that he was going to die to redeem us from our sin. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the cross is really the only valid point of reference for us as we navigate our way through this life. It's through the cross and the message of the cross that God has saved us. And it's the cross and the message of the cross that Jesus came. He willingly died on that cross and then He was buried and He rose again that will bring hope to the rest of the world around us. The cross is a valid point of reference for us as believers as we navigate our way through life and we find the worldly pressures come to be unethical. And we look at ourselves and we wonder what's going to happen because of, of all the scams and everything's going on at every level of our society. And when the worldly systems fail to offer hope and security, the Bible would say, look at the cross. When tempted, when guilty, when overwhelmed by the world around you, the cross, that's the Christian's point of reference. And it reminds us that we've been redeemed and God has poured His grace out upon us lavishly. Lavishly. Some of you younger parents will know that grandparents have a way of being lavish with their grandchildren. You know, and grandchildren figure that out pretty quickly too. 
even the girls, <laughs> like Erica, they figure that out. They know where the lavishness is and how to open the faucet for it to pour out upon them. Well, God is giving us that opportunity. He says, I'm willing to pour my grace out upon you. And so we come to him with the understanding that, that the Christian's point of reference that we're redeemed and a part of God's plan for the world is the cross. And in Him we have redemption through His blood, Paul reminds us. The forgiveness of our sins in accordance. In accordance with God's grace that He lavished. See, if, if it depended upon my grace, we'd be in big trouble. Or your grace. But one of the things that God intends for us to do once we experience Him, receive His grace, is to grow to the point that we can become givers of grace as well. And we can help other people come to the saving knowledge of Christ. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, he asks this question. Who is it that overcomes the world? Who's going to come out on top? And then he provides the answer. Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. There's an old Greek philosopher by the name of Seneca who said, in his day, man is overwhelmingly conscious of his inadequacy and his inefficiency in necessary things. Mankind, he said, loves vice and hates them at the same time. What they need is a hand let down to lift them up. That's what God did. That's what God did with the cross. And that's what God is going to do time and time again for those of you who've trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Any time that you dare to look at the cross for a point of reference to your direction in life, you're going to find Him there always willing to reach down, to touch you, to grace you, to give you strength, to give you wisdom, to give you leadership, to be the person He needs for you to be. God is willing and ready to go to work with you and with me and with our church.